welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caprol. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, September 29th through Saturday, October 1st, feature Riccardo Muti conducting a program of Rossini, the overture to Il Viaggio a Rams, the Mozart Symphony No. 39, and after intermission, Prokofiev's Symphony No. 5. Here are Philip Pusher's program notes on Mozart's Symphony No. 39, a work lasting about 25 minutes. Ironically, it's Mozart's last three symphonies, rather than the famous Requiem, that remain the mystery of his final years. Almost as soon as Mozart died, romantic myth attached itself to the unfinished pages of the Requiem left scattered on his bed. A host of questions. Who commissioned the work? Who finished it? Was Mozart poisoned? Inspired painters, novelists, biographers, librettists, playwrights, and screenwriters to heights of imaginative re-creation. We now know those answers. The Requiem is unfinished, but not unexplained. The final symphonies, on the other hand, number 39 in E-flat, the great G minor number 40, and the Jupiter number 41, continue to beg more questions than we can answer. Even what was once the most provocative fact about these works, that Mozart never heard them, is now doubtful. We no longer believe that Mozart wrote these three great symphonies for the drawer alone. That goes against all we know about his working methods. But we don't know what orchestra or occasion he had in mind. Apparently, a series of subscription concerts was planned for the summer of 1788 when Mozart entered the three symphonies in his catalog, but there's no evidence that the performances took place. It's likely that the works were conceived as a trilogy, with publication in mind. Symphonies often were printed in groups of three, but they weren't published during Mozart's lifetime. Did Mozart ever hear them? Even if the projected subscription series of 1788 never took place, Mozart did tour Germany the following year, conducting concerts for which we have only sketchy details. A symphony, for example, was advertised for the program at the Leipzig Gewandhaus on May 12th. And back home in Vienna, no less a musical big shot than Antonio Salieri conducted concerts on April 16th and 17th, 1791, featuring a grand symphony by Mozart. The fact that the G minor symphony exists in two versions, with and without clarinets, argues that Mozart revised the score for a specific performance. The Symphony No. 39 in E-flat major is the least studied and performed of the three symphonies, and that in itself is something of a puzzle, for it is no less a masterwork. It doesn't, however, have the tragic romanticism of the G minor symphony or the magnificent heroics that earned the C major its nickname, the Jupiter. In the 19th century, when only the most dramatic of Mozart's works remained in the repertory, the E-flat symphony had no story to tell. Its hallmarks are purely musical, difficult to pinpoint or explain, and it's a work of considerable understatement. There's nothing in the first movement that doesn't fit the textbook model of classical sonata form. Even the large, slow introduction, which Mozart rarely uses in his symphonies, is a standard feature of Haydn's output at the same time. But listen to the way Mozart's introduction, exalted and grand, with stately dotted rhythms and rich chromaticism, sweeps almost imperceptibly into the lovely singing main allegro. Charles Rosen points out that the melody of the allegro literally extends the unfinished cadence of the introduction. 
The effect is subtle and very modern, almost cinematic in the seamless merging from one scene to another, and the point was not lost on Beethoven, who spent much of his career perfecting the art of transition. Mozart's Allegro, beginning with a thread of sound and building to a point of high intensity, is made of strong and bold materials unostentatiously used. The Andante is a marvel of sustained eloquence, capped by moments of great power and passion that are all the more remarkable in music of such spare chamber music textures. The third movement is one of Mozart's most celebrated minuets, complete with a trio introduced by clarinets and based for once on a real rather than imaginary Landler. Program notes by Philip Huscher on Mozart's Symphony Number no. 39. And now on to the Prokofiev Symphony Number no. 5, a work lasting about 46 minutes. Sergei Prokofiev spent the summer of 1944 at a large country estate provided by the Union of Soviet Composers as a refuge from the war and as a kind of think tank. Prokofiev arrived early in the summer and found that his colleagues included Glier, Shostakovich, Kabalevsky, Kachaturian, and Nyaskovsky, a summer camp for the most distinguished Soviet composers of the time. Although Ivanovo, as the retreat was called, often was referred to as a rest home, there was little leisure once Prokofiev moved in. He maintained a rigorous daily schedule as he had all his life and began to impose it on the others as well. The regularity with which he worked amazed us all, Kachatorian later recalled. Prokofiev ate breakfast, marched to his studio and composed and scheduled his walks and tennis games by the clock. In the evening, he insisted the composers all get together to compare notes, literally. Prokofiev was delighted and clearly not surprised that he usually had the most to show for his day's work. It was a particularly productive summer for Prokofiev. He composed both his eighth piano sonata and the fifth symphony before he returned to Moscow. The sonata is prime Prokofiev and often played, but the symphony is perhaps the best known and most regularly performed of all his works. It had been 15 years since Prokofiev's last symphony, and both that symphony and the one preceding it had been byproducts of theater pieces. The third symphony is musically related to the opera The Flaming Angel, and the fourth to the ballet The Prodigal Son. Not since his second symphony, completed in 1925, had Prokofiev composed a purely abstract symphony, or one that he began from scratch. Although it was written at the height of the war, Prokofiev's Fifth Symphony isn't a wartime symphony in the traditional sense, not in the vivid and descriptive manner of Shostakovich's Seventh, composed during the Siege of Leningrad and written in Carl Sandburg's words, with the heart's blood, or his Eighth, which coolly contemplates the horrors of war. Prokofiev's Symphony Number no. 5 is intended to glorify the human spirit, praising the free and happy man, his strength, his generosity, and the purity of his soul. In its own way, this outlook makes it an even greater product of the war because it was designed to uplift and console the Soviet people. I cannot say I chose this theme, Prokofiev wrote. It was born in me and had to express itself. Nonetheless, such optimistic and victorious music cheered the Russian authorities. It might well have been made to order. In his 1946 autobiography, Prokofiev writes, 
it is the duty of the composer, like the poet, the sculptor, or the painter, to serve the rest of humanity, to beautify human life, and to point the way to a radiant future. Such is the immutable code of art as I see it. It is also the code of art Soviet composers were expected to embrace during the war, but Prokofiev couldn't have written a work as powerful and convincing as his Fifth Symphony if he truly didn't believe those words. The Fifth Symphony would inevitably be known as a victory celebration. Just before the first performance, which Prokofiev conducted, word reached Moscow that the Russian army had scored a decisive victory on the Vistula River. As Prokofiev raised his baton, the sound of cannons was heard from the distance. Buoyed by both the news and the triumphant tone of the music, the premiere was a great success. It was the last time Prokofiev conducted in public. Three weeks later, he had a mild heart attack, fell down the stairs in his apartment, and suffered a slight concussion. Although he recovered his spirits and eventually his strength and creative powers as well, Prokofiev continued to feel the effects of the accident for the remaining eight years of his life. The first movement of the Fifth Symphony is intense and dramatic, but neither aggressive nor violent like much of the music written at the time. It's moderately paced, Prokofiev writes Andante, and broadly lyrical throughout. The scherzo, in contrast, is quick and insistent, touched by a sense of humor that sometimes reveals a sharp cutting edge. The third movement is lyrical and brooding, like much of Prokofiev's finest slow movement. After a brief, somber introduction, the finale points decisively toward a radiant future. Program notes by Philip Pusher on Prokofiev's Symphony No. 5. My name is Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.